Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Well, good morning. I'm so glad each one of you are here. Those watching online, so glad you've joined us. This is a special, um, a special message for me. I pray it's a special message for you. I always have seen God as my best friend. I've gone through a lot of dark nights. And yet, I can tell you every single dark night that I've been on, my God has always showed up and showed off. Always. And I know that he's done it for me, and I want you to be run to do it for you. But before I get started here and get rolling, uh, as you see, I got Ben and Shy and little Rayla here today, and uh, they're getting ready to go to some island far, far away. And so we are so... How many enjoyed Ben's message last week? How many remember? I should test you. How many of you know what you have? What do you have? You have a what? A seed. That's right. You need to plant it. Well, we're going to try to plant some more seeds today so that you can know and grow in the Lord. Um, let's continue in our message. Uh, David, man after God's own heart. And I want to just pick up a little bit from the beginning and looking at the aspect of we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13 where Saul has just been disobedient. He has sacrificed when he should have waited for Samuel and didn't show up. And so he took the sacrifice in his own hand and he felt like he was compelled to do it. And God said right there, I'm looking for a man of my own heart. Your kingdom will not continue. And then we go to chapter 16 and we see David, a young young man, being anointed as the next king of Israel while there is a king at the time. His name is Saul. And then shortly after that, in chapter 17, we see David, this guy, you know, young man taking on a Goliath. A guy who's nine feet tall, spear, javelin, has uh, all the armor on. And here comes David with a sling. That's why we always talk about David and Goliath. Everybody sees when you go into a football game and somebody who's really, really good and this one have a bad record is like a David and Goliath story. And sometimes, though, and I love this, when the David beats the Goliath. That day, David beat Goliath really good. And then God brought him into the palace. You see, you got to realize something. When God calls When God called Saul, he was 30 years old, and he put him into kingship. But when God picked David, a man after his own heart, he put him in king school. He was now going to train and and develop David to be able to be the king. David had the heart. What David needed was the lessons in life. And can I tell you, when you go through lessons in life that are difficult, that are hard, and you may not always understand them, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you? Don't quit in the midst of the pressures of life because God is trying to teach you something, but he doesn't want you to complain about your problem. He wants to help you solve it, but also help you in the midst of your problem. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. In chapter 18, we see Jonathan, when he meets David, becomes one in spirit with David. And and there's a little saying here that says, it says this, 
And David, uh, uh, um, Jonathan loved David as himself. Now, I'm going to take a moment here. We're going to touch this again. But I'm going to take a moment right now because every time David and Jonathan are talked about, especially in a culture we live today, they always want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse, I think it's uh, in the beginning, um, verse um, 20, 26, 24, 25, 26. And it's there where it talks about Saul had died, Jonathan had died, a couple of the sons of Saul had died, and now David's mourning the loss of the king and the loss of his friend Jonathan. And he says this, Jonathan, your love for me was better than the love of a woman. And we have a culture today that tries to perverse that to say that there were some homosexual uh, intentions there. Can I just tell you, today's lesson will help you understand why David said this. I want you to know that we know that David had eight wives, at least eight wives, numerous concubines, and many, many children. The most children he had was with Bathsheba. He had four children from Bathsheba. One of them became king, King Saul. I want you to understand something that maybe the relationship with David's were, with his wives weren't all that great. But when you understand the relationship he had with Saul and what, not Saul, but um, Jonathan, and what Jonathan did and how he sacrificed and how he put David first and how he was a friend that truly sticks closer than the brother, you understand why David said what he said. And we're going to talk about one of the events. You have to understand David and Jonathan were in war. And when you're in war and someone has your back and protects you and goes into battle for you, why do they do that? They love you. Why do moms sometimes go to stores and they only have $7, but they need some new shoes themselves, but they don't spend it on themselves. They spend it on their child. Why do they do that? Love. Love does. People today in our generation say, I love you, but they don't love. They, they, they say they love, but everything they do shows contrary to the, the word they love. Jonathan loved David as himself. I don't know why we get all uh, big about it, because it's a New Testament concept too. What does God say? The greatest commandment, two greatest commands, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as your what? Yourself. That's exactly what Jonathan was doing with David, he loved him as himself, meaning that he loved David just like he loved himself. What he would do for him, he would do for David. I want you to get this today because this is important. So in chapter 18, Jonathan makes the covenant with David and David becomes successful and everything he does, there is success. Until, until some women are happy, they're coming from battle and they sing a song. Do you know a song can change your life? Hmm? You know, when you got a couple and they go, that's our song, you know. Um, well, there was a song that changed David's life. <laughs> it changed more than David's life. The song went like this. Maybe you know the tune. It, it was catchy and it did go throughout the kingdom. And we'll find that out more in time to come. How much that song went out through the kingdom. But David has killed his 10,000 and Saul his thousands. And when that took place... The insecurity that was in Saul, the desire to hold on to the power and the prestige in which God had given him, rose up this hate. And before you know it, he's trying to kill David with a spear. He became jealous. 
And whenever you have jealousy and envy, it rises up into hatred, and hatred brings you down a dark road. Instead of, instead of recognizing the truth, Saul didn't want to recognize the truth. He just wanted to blame David. So an evil spirit comes upon Saul and tries to kill David. And then Saul gives his daughter Michal to him. And in chapter 19, David now has been, now Saul is jealous and David's in trouble. And what does Jonathan do? He goes on and tries to say to his father, Dad, listen, weren't you glad when he killed Goliath? Didn't David put his life on the line? Weren't you glad and all the people and a great battle? You too celebrated when that happened. And he makes an oath. King Saul makes an oath. Surely David will not die. Well, King, King Saul never kept his oath. And so war broke out again. An evil spirit came upon Saul and he tries to pin David to the wall with another spear. And David escapes to his house and then Saul says, watch his house in the morning. We're going to kill David. And McCall says, listen, if you don't leave tonight, you're going to be a dead man in the morning. And now David's on the run. And he runs to who else is left? He runs to, King, um, to Saul, uh, Samuel, excuse me. He runs to the prophet Samuel in Naoth. And there, this is what's so crazy about that portion we talked about, is that God gives King Saul and his men an experience with God. And you would think when he came out of that experience, he would have a different heart. But his heart never changed. And that's the same thing. People can be in the house of God. People can have an experience with God. People can really experience the power of God and yet have no heart change because they're still stuck on something that they're focused on. They can't focus on the true joy. They're focusing on the problem and problems will drain you. Jesus Christ will fill you. Someone say amen. So we're going to look at chapter 20 today. And chapter 20 is the beginning and the end. It's the end of one chapter, one season in David's life. But it's really the beginning of a greater chapter. I thought about the title today. And um, as I thought about the title, I thought of this would be a good of a good story to say the title could be the depth of relationships. You have relationships. What's your depth of your relationship? How deep of relationships do you have? Who is your deepest relationship you have? Who is your deepest relationship you have? And here's a question I have for you. I can tell you who your deepest relationship is is because you have no problem sharing your hurt and your joys and your things that are good and the things that are bad and the things you don't like. And I can tell you, you'll say that to someone because you know they'll listen to you without any judgment. Because a true friend is, sees you at your worst and sees you at your best and can't tell the difference. But I, I decided to not to look at the depth. I decided to say, let's call this today the test of friendship. Because I believe this is a real test of friendship that happened between David and Jonathan, I, I want to encourage you to friendships take work. It doesn't just happen. It does not. It's not just something. Proverbs says, if you want friends, go out and be friends with everybody. Be friendly and there'll be friends everywhere. And so that's the first thing. If you're not friendly, you have to work on that. Who many would say to yourself, am I really friendly? 
Do I look at the faults of people or do I look at the best of people? Because you'll never be friendly if you're always looking at the faults or finding faults with people. But when you find something good in them, I'll tell you what, something will change in you. The book called The Treasure of a Friend, John Maxwell and Dan Riley talks about a story about a man named Philip and Jim. Philip and Jim went to high school together. They went to, um, when they were grammar school together, went to high school together, and they actually went to the Marines together. And with all of the different things that took place, they ended up fighting in World War II. And one day, the battle was fierce. Bombs were blowing up. Hand-to-hand combat was going on. Grenades were blowing up. It was this really terrible scene And a call of retreat was called. And so Jim ran back to where he's supposed to be, but he couldn't find Philip. So he went to the commanding officer, true story, went to the commanding officer and said, Philip is not back. I need to go get him. And the commanding officer told Jim, you can't go. That's suicide. That'd be stupid. You cannot go. But Jim didn't listen. And Jim went out for his friend Philip. And not long after, there he is with a limp body in his hands, walking to to the place of safety. His commanding officer came up to Jim and sat at a rail right on him. How stupid of a decision, how selfish, how he could have killed himself. And it was a suicide mission. Why did he do it? And look, you bring back a dead friend. But that's when Jim spoke up. He said, no, not, not so, sir. Because when I reached him, he was still alive. And this is what he told me. I knew you would come for me, and I carried him back home. You see, this is what friendship is really about. But it's not if you have one, do you want to be one? Do you really want to be one? Because, see, we can learn a lot of lessons from Jonathan, and everybody's looking for themselves. We live in a selfish society, and we think about ourselves. We are not thinking about others. We are not fulfilling Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Because if we did, you would be happier. You'd be more joyful. You'd be less critical and more more graceful. Because people need people. And God created us. C.S. Lewis gives a great lesson on friendship. And he says this. Friendship is born. This is his quote. Friendship is born at the moment when a person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one that felt that. Did you get that? When you share something with someone and they go, what, you too? And then you connect with someone because you open your heart. Most people don't want to open their heart. And then sometimes you may open your heart to someone and then they change the subject back to themselves. You have to be a good listener. Listener is a first criteria of a person who's going to work on a relationship. And you're going to learn today that Jesus was a great listener. He is a good listener. He's all ears. <laughs> Come unto me, all you are laden, heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He's asking you to talk with him. But I also want you to understand is that friendship and David and Jonathan, they, they listen to each other. And you're going to see this. David finds himself in a very difficult situation in life at this point in time. He knows he has favor with so many, but all the favor that he had once is gone. For example, at one time he had favor with the king. No longer has favor with the king. He had favor with the soldiers of Israel. No longer has favor with the soldiers of Israel because they're they're going to be commanded by Saul. He had favor with the people. 
But all, all the people were on his side because most of them would listen to the lies that King Saul was putting out. His wife, Michal, loved him, did right by sending him off, but he was separated from her too. And then, of course, he goes to Samuel in 19, and then, of course, that's the last time he'll ever see Samuel. So he's no longer connected and in favor with the prophet. Now, he only has two people left. He has God, and he has his best friend. And so this is where, in chapter 20, while everybody's still at Naoth, Having this experience, David's on the run, going over back into a place of danger, and he wants to meet his friend and say, why does your father want to kill me? So let's look at the journey. Look at your neighbor and say, let's do a journey. Can you give me the first slide? When your problem seems bigger than your promise, reach out. That's what David does. David's about to see his problems bigger than his promise. I want you to get this. This is all of us. God gives you a promise. But sometimes we think about the problem versus the promise. David lost the promise in the midst of the pressure of his problem. 1 Samuel chapter 20, look what it says. When David fled from Naoth to Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father? That he is trying to take my life. Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that when I I have found favor in your eyes, and he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Now, wait a minute. Let's stop for a moment. Who's the next anointed king? Who is it? Come on. Who is it? David. Who has the promise of God that he's going to be the king? David. When God says he's going to do something, God's going to do something. David has the promise of God but he can't see the promise of God is because he has all of the reality yelling at him. And in his mind right now, he's at a point in life where the promise has been forgotten because of the pressure of today. And you and I are the same people. The pressure of today is what we focus upon and we forget about the promise of God. And when you forget about the promise of God, you put yourself in the enemy's camp. You put yourself in the camp of fear and doubt and mistrust and lack of faith. But the reality is that's what David was. He says, he says, there there is only a step between me and life and death. I, I want you to understand that he believed this. He really did. And sometimes we forget the promises that God gives us. You know, I want to give you this little I'm going to give you a few friends quotes here or friend thoughts that I put together. First, truth on friendship. True friends are revealed when trouble comes. David is in a trouble. David is in a circumstance. David has nowhere else to go. And you don't hear him praying right now. Notice that. He's not going to God. He goes to his friend. And there are times in life 
where we will go to someone horizontally because we trust them. We know they have our backs. You know that they'll give us their opinion. They'll give us words of wisdom or godly, godly counsel. But he doesn't go to God. He goes to Jonathan. And David knew who his friend was. True friends are revealed when troubles come. Because, see, when troubles come, there are two types of people. People who walk in and people who say, I don't want to touch it. When my mom died, when my mom died, I couldn't tell you how many people didn't come in my life. They didn't know what to say to me. So you know what they said? Nothing. Or when a person goes through a divorce and a situation, a bad circumstance, you know, people, people don't go up to the people because they don't know what to say. Can I just tell you, when people have circumstances and situations in their life, that is not the time to run away from their problem. As a friend, as a body of Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus always runs to a person in their trouble. And even if you have nothing to say, that's okay. It's the ministry of presence. You're there because you care. We'll talk more about that at the end. So most relationships want something from you and they'll judge you in that relationship by what you do or don't do. So if you don't do what they want to do, they'll judge that relationship as being not a good relationship. But true relationship is a reciprocating relationship where both people put each other first. This is really important. What makes a marriage really work? When both people put God first and the other second and they put themselves last. That's what makes relationship work. When people really put the order in place, when that order is not established, there will always be um, problems and there will always be disunity within that relationship. In this relationship with David and Jonathan, because of the path, he knew he could come to his brother. Now, there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And I'm not going to give you them all, but there's a lot of promises but I'd like to give you seven promises just to remind yourself because David forgot that he had a promise. David forgot. And you will forget too when you have pressure, when you have problems, when you have hurt, when you feel harmed, when you go through the pressure and you feel like you're the, in the pressure cooker and everything around you bubbling, blah, 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 blah. and you feel the heat of the kitchen, you'll forget the promise of God too, but God has a promise. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell him God has a plan. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan. And if God has a plan and he's involved in the plan, be confident of this very thing that he which begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? He's got a plan. But you fretting, you complaining, you this, that, and the other thing. You have a best friend in Jesus. I'm telling you from experience. It all has not been easy, but the, but the best friend has always been there. Always been there. Because he is closer than a brother. Let me give you seven promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Matthew 28, 28, 20. I will protect you, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. I will be your strength. Isaiah 41.10. I will be your answer. Psalms 91.15. I will provide for you. Matthew 6.31.32. I will give you peace. Numbers 6.24.26. I will always love you. 1 John 4.9 and 10. These are just seven. But if you just get on 
never leave you. I will protect you. I'll be your strength. I will answer you. I will provide for you. I will give you peace. And I will always love you. Those are what every person in this room wants. Every person wants that in their life. Let me just share something with you. On the bottom of this, he says, there is but a step between me and death. Can I just say there's a truth there? No one's promised tomorrow. Right now, there could be but a step before you and I enter into eternity. Not one of us is guaranteed that we will see our doorway of our house. So in some sense, we need to make sure that we have our eternity secured, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save you and I who have sinned, to forgive us from our sins. For the wages of death, well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So we have a reason why Jesus came to forgive us for sin. Everybody sinned. There's not one person in this room has never sinned. You have a promise in God. Someone say amen. And in that promise, in that promise, we need to make sure that if we took a step into eternity, that we have our soul, our soul, our heart, our life has been aligned with God and accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Because there's no one, no one goes to hell because of God. People want to blame God all the time. But no one goes to hell. No one is separated from God. It's funny. It's funny. No one wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But no one wants God to hang with. They don't want to hang with God on earth. I want all of God's benefit, but don't ask me to do anything. I want God's all goodness, but I don't want to know him. I want to truly go to heaven, but I don't want to read his word. Does that even make sense? Why would you want to go to heaven if you don't want nothing to do with him here? Just a thought. Just a thought. So how about you have a friend and you get to know your friend? Amen? How about you really love them and get into that word? How about you really love them and get into prayer? How about you really love them and you start loving other people? How about this? How about this? You start loving people who are different than you. Just like Jesus did all through his life. Loving people who were different or don't understand about this Christianity stuff. And help them along the journey. Someone say he's talking to you. <laughs> Number two, Jonathan's heart to help his friend. Look at this. David has a plan to test proof his theory that Saul, Jonathan's father, wants to kill him. Look what it says in verse four. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival and I am supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in a field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because he uh, because of an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. Look what it says. Verse seven. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper. You can be assured that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, listen to this now. He changes his his tune a little bit. If I'm guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Jonathan responds in verse 9, never, Jonathan said. If I had at least an inkling that my father was determined to harm you, 
wouldn't I tell you? Let's look at the second truth we want to talk about. A true friend is a person who stands with you in your troubles. You see, Jonathan could have just said, hey, man, I am not going to get in the way between you and my father. Uh, uh-uh. This is the king. He's my father. I mean, this is this is getting too messy for me. You know what people want to do when it gets messy? They want to like back up a little bit. Uh, uh, uh. We don't want to get messy. We want to get our hands dirty. We don't want other people saying something about us. But the reality is a true friend is a person who stands with you in troubles. And that's exactly what's happening. Jonas is willing to do anything. David, what do you want me to do? How can, we, how can I show you the truth of the matter? David, I'm here for you. What do you want me to do? David has a plan. Jonathan is not only standing up for David, but he's going to be standing up against the king, against his father. And even more than that, he's going to be standing up so everybody else will see it. You know, a lot of times we don't want to, we don't want, you know, to do that because we may ruffle feathers. Sometimes, let me just share this with you. And this is hard, but sometimes we have to ruffle feathers because of truth. And sometimes you may have to make a stand for what's right, even when it's difficult. It is so easy for a dead fish to go downstream. But a live fish goes through the pressure to get upstream. And I want you to learn in your God to be a live fish that not afraid maybe to go through some stuff for the benefit of others, for the benefit of the kingdom. Because here, Jonathan is ready to go through the stuff for his friend. Because a true friend, a person who stands with you in in your troubles. Not looking on the outside, oh, too bad to be you. Mm. Not like that. But actually gets in there to do their best. Now, listen to me. There are some times we need to be careful when we help people in troubles that we don't become enablers. Okay? That's a different story. Become an enabler. This is not the story of being an enabler. This is a story about being a friend who is going to be there in someone's trouble. Especially, Jonathan knows David is righteous. Big deal. He's all in to help his friend and he believes, and Jonathan believes that he's the next king of Israel. Let's go on. Because now the test of friendship is about to come. Verse 24 to 31, so David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite of Jonathan and Abner, sat next to Saul, and David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Now his friend is about to lie for him to the king and to his father. Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our father is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. I have found favor in your eyes. Let me get away and see my brothers. That is why he has not not come to the king's table. 
Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you perverse, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother that bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. I think it's clear. I think now Jonathan knows it's clear. David's in trouble. My friend truly is in trouble. When they celebrated the new moon, you have a new moon every month. And according to Numbers um, 28, God wanted a celebration of purity and of a celebration of uh, of a bunch of different things of celebration, and there was a bunch of things in the Leviticus that, and Numbers that talks about the sacrifice on the new moon. So once a month, they would get together. It would be ceremonially, religiously, and politically done. And so David, you could be, un- in the Old Testament, there was many things that could happen to be unclean. He could have become next to someone that died. Um, he could have touched something that was unclean. There was many things, and there was rituals that you had to go through to get purified. You have to understand the purification is pointing to, in the celebration of purification, pointing to Jesus, who was about to die on the cross, raise up on the third day, and purify us from all sin. Everything that happens in the Old Testament, everything that God commands, is always pointing to Jesus. Someone say amen. We are so blessed in the time in which we live today. And so they're celebrating the new, uh, new moon sacrificial meal and David's not at his seat. So of course the king thinks, okay, he has to do his new ritual to get cleansed again. He's not properly fit to be in this sacrifice. And he gives them the benefit of the doubt. But then finally says, where is he to his son? And the son lies to his father and gives him an excuse of what he said. Now, I want you to get this. King Saul knows the closeness and the friendship between David and his son. King Saul knows this. And he answered that. If you really want to look into the original language, um, uh, his father was very strong in his words. I decided just to bypass it all. But let's just look at the response, the defense of Jonathan. I want you to get this because it's not so much what Jonathan did. I want to know what you will do for somebody tomorrow and your days ahead. What type of friend will you be? Because if everybody wants certain things, but I always ask people all the time, do you want to be that thing that you want? So if you want to be a friend, if you want a great friend, then the reality is, do you want to be a great friend? Do you care for others or are you always focusing on yourself? Because you never can be a great friend if you're always focused on you. Because focusing on the other person is really where the key is. Look what it says here in verse 32, 34. Jonathan's defense of his friend. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on the second day of the month. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. I want you to get this. This is important. 
He's trying to save the kingdom for his son, and yet he gets so mad. He has so much hatred for David, and David has done nothing wrong. All the wrong is in his head. There's nothing wrong, but he throws a spear at the very one that's the ne- supposed he wants to be the next king of Israel. He's doing all this to protect his son so his son can have a destiny, a dynasty. But God said in the very beginning, he's going to rip it from your hands and God's in the midst of it. There's such a difference between Jonathan and Saul. I really like the character of Saul, uh, character of Jonathan in the Bible. I really do. He, um, I, I, I can't tell you how much I, I like Jonathan. Jonathan wants two questions he asks. Why, king, and what has he done? Why do you want to kill him? Why? And what is his crime? And instead of answering his father takes up a spear and tries to kill his own son. And he says, that's my answer. And if you're with David, you might rather be dead just as well as David is to me. King answered with uncontrolled anger and throws a spear at his own son. What does that show us? The third truth of friendship. A true friend will protect your honor and fight when you're not able He is in the battle for his friend. And this was no easy battle. Let me tell you something. Most people would have said no way, man, because, I mean, his life was actually on the line. Think about this. But he was willing to protect the honor of someone he knew was innocent, someone who was righteous, someone who has done good for Israel and good for King Saul, though King Saul couldn't see it. I want you to understand There is a family proverb my mother always said. She used to tell me this all the time. I just want to remind you, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. Well, you know, Jonathan didn't have that philosophy. No, Jonathan had the philosophy, right is thicker than blood. Righteousness is thicker than blood. Because he was willing to deny his own father and to go to David Even his daughter, Micaiah, went to David, favored David. God gave favor even in the midst of the problem. And when you go through your problem, you have a promise. And if you have a promise, God's going to do what God's going to do. But you have to do your part. So many times I see people always want God to do everything. They just want God to do everything. This is what I want, God. And they expect God to just do it. That's a bunch of hogwash. God wants something from you. God wants your heart, wants your all in, wants you to be walking according to his ways, his plans, his purposes. He wants you to be doing something right where you are. Not one day I'm going to do this. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So let's talk about the separation of a covenant friendship. Because this is this is a sad part right here. But there's a great lesson to learn about friendship in this. You see, Jesus is ultimately our best friend. And we'll never be separated from him. But Jonathan and David are now going to be separated because of the situation at hand. Look what it says here in verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to meet with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows and I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot the arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out 
after him, isn't the arrow behind, beyond you? Then he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrows and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing at all of this. Only Jonathan and David knew. When Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go and carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left Jonathan and went back to town. There's a truth here that I want you to get. A true friend will always seek and put good, your good, before their own. I want you to understand, you're a, tr- a friend in your life, a true friend in your life will always seek and put your good before their own. And this is exactly, he's ready to say, okay, David, you've got to go. Your life is in danger. Our friendship is tight. And you know what? We've been in battles together. We've done this together. But I want you to go because it is for your benefit. A lot of times people want to hold on to it. You see, Jonathan did everything he said he would do. Jonathan was a faithful friend. And it shows us a little bit of a type of the friend that we have in Christ, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I take this pretty seriously because I've been through some stuff. I've been through a lot of stuff. And in that stuff that I've been through, I've really got a a really understanding. And this is what's helped me. Because if you notice, everything in this first phase of David's life, he had people by his side. There was people there. There was just some, but each one of them was taken away. And at the end, right now, in chapter 20, 21, all he has is God. That's all he has right now. He is now a refugee. He is now a man, a man on the run. Yeah. How many of that song? Okay. (laughs) He's now a man on the run. And there's nobody but God. And God brought him to a point where his dependency has to be on him. Remember, God's training him to be a king of Israel. And sometimes the training in which God puts us through, we don't understand. It's hard. It hurts. Matter of fact, can I put it in my vernacular? It stinks sometimes. It's like, God, I I probably would have done this a better way. (laughs) And God says, yeah, but you don't know exactly what I'm doing. And sometimes we get mad at God when really we should be thanking God for all that he's brought us through. See, Jonathan knows the truth. David pays respect to his friend and bows down to the ground in homage, respecting him as the prince. But more than that, respecting him as a man who just really put his life on the line, jumped into battle. Jonathan yields to the will of God that they may depart so David may be safe. That's one thing you see about Jonathan. Jonathan is always looking at the will of God. He's always concerned about the will of God. And he's willing now to separate. Let me just share a couple things here in closing. The difference between Saul and Jonathan, it's interesting that Jonathan wanted God's plan to succeed more than he wanted to become king of Israel. 
He was never interested in becoming king of Israel once he knew David had been anointed. Jonathan yielded to God's plan for David to be king. He yielded. Sometimes we need to yield to what God's trying to do in our life. However, Saul could only see his plan. Saul could only see his way. It's my way or the highway. You know, you run into people like that. They just want it the way they want it. And if they don't get it the way they want it, they're miserable to work with. Because they don't get what they want. Well, if I don't get what I want, <laughs> they're going to be trouble in the city. Yeah, that's not the right attitude. That's a matter of fact, that's just a fleshly attitude. That's just the wrong attitude. But Saul actually had the attitude of hanging on to the power that he had. Jonathan ended up choosing David. That should have been his natural rival because he was taken over the kingdom. And he actually turned against his natural father. Let me just share this with you. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves only when they feel like it. No, that's not what it says. A friend loves at all times. Good, bad, and the ugly because they're a friend. They're going to love at all times. Job 6, 14 says, He who withholds kindness from a friend, watch this, watch this. He who holds, withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Mm, that's something to chew on. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend closer than a brother. Someone say amen. I just might do a jump and a jig. Proverbs 8, 24 says just what I just said. <laughs> Friendship is a two-way street. So if you want to be a type of friend, you need to be that same friend to the other person. It's really important. So I want to leave you with two things. First is, I want to leave you with an acrostic, care. So if you want to be a friend, this is the place to start. Not what people do to you, but how you're going to do it to others. Someone say amen. Because we always start like, well, you got to do it for me first. Well, that's what real friendship is. You can befriend someone, but you'll only be a friend if it reciprocates. But you can befriend anyone you choose to be. But there will be limits because it's not reciprocating. So let me give you this acrostic. I took the word care. There's four elements to friendship. First, C stands challenge. If you're a friend, I'm going to challenge you. This is, it. I'm going to, this is if you're a friend, I'm going to challenge you to grow spiritually. I'm going to challenge you to grow spiritually. Because if you do not grow spiritually, you will not grow as a person. You will not grow as an individual. You will not grow. If I don't do my job as your friend to challenge you spiritually, to say, hey, that's not right. Or, hey, you need to, in your word. Or, hey, you need to be praying. Or, yay, you need to be faithful in whatever God put you. You need to be doing something. You've got to challenge them. Not everybody likes challenges. Matter of fact, a lot of them run from it. But see, without a challenge, you can't grow. A stands for affirm. This is important. If you love your friend, you have to affirm your friend's value. If you do not value them, then you will not grow with them. You have to value them. Yeah, they're different. It is that difference that makes a difference in your life. You want the difference. But you have to value it if you see the essentials to it. 
Value it. Call them. Give them a note. Let them know how important they are. Not just in mere words, but have heart to those words. Because words without the heart are not no meaning at all. You understand what I'm saying? You got people say, love you. But it's just, we love pizza. We love roast beef hoagie. You know? We love hot fudge sundae. Come on, how many like that one? Isn't that good? Yeah, I see those hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. But it's a whole different love when you're loving people and their value. R, this is important now, R, stand for respect. Respect the person, their feelings, their wishes. Respect when they're talking to you. Listen to them. Stop talking and start listening. You cannot respect them if you do not listen to them. Because you're thinking about what you have to say, and they're not interested. They just need to get it off their chest. They just need someone to really want to listen to their heart, listen to their pain, listen to their struggle. There are some people that when they get it off their chest, you may not say anything. They'll say, thanks, you really helped me out. And you say, what did I do? No, sometimes it's just a venting aspect. But to truly respect them, you got to listen to them. A good friend will be a good sounding board, not a judgment board. Really important. You can't judge the person when they share. It's like this. I'll tell you a story. I was with somebody, a well person, well mature, uh, faithful, um, full of faith, full of life, love of Jesus Christ, and a tragedy took place. And when they took the tragedy took place, the words that came from their mouth was not came from the person in which I knew. So the words that were coming from their mouth were words of pain, words of hurt, words of feeling lost. And in that aspect, I never listened to the words they were saying because I understood where they were coming from. Sometimes people want to correct the person in that moment. They're having a moment most people don't share what's on their heart and they become this cocoon and they become miserable from inside because it, it's just they, they, they just they just keep it inside. But when someone finally lets it out, just listen. That's a good start of being a friend, listening to the heart. And the last E, which everybody understands this one, stands for encouragement to encourage people. Encourage your friend through kindness. Words of strength, deeds that lift them up so they may achieve higher ground. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be encouraged? Everybody wants to be encouraged. But if there's someone important to you and someone you say you care about, your words that you can do it. Oh, don't worry what they say. I know. I believe in you. You can do this thing. Because there's tons of people who tell you you can't. Tons of people who tell you you can't do it. That's why I hate the word can't. Can't is, ah, let me just share this with you. Wasn't meant to, but this is something different. I've had this in my office for many years. As a matter of fact, Ben did it for me when he was on staff here. So that takes it back a while. I love this saying. When a man puts a limit on what he can do, he has limit of what he will do. When you have good friends in your life that say you can you can accomplish anything for God. Make sure God's at the center of what you're going to do. Let me just give you one final last 
scripture. I love this scripture in John 15. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus said. Jesus calls us friends and then says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, 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 I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known unto you. God is our friend. God wants to be your best friend. Do you want to be his? The first way to make Jesus your best friend, those watching online, those here today, the first way of making Jesus your best friend is saying, I've sinned. I've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've sinned. Every single person has sinned. And with that comes forgiveness. And you need to go to God and say, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me for I've sinned. I've done what I want to do when I want to do it. But this day, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. It's so important. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you, Lord, in my life. I received what you did on the cross and dying for me. And this day, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I give you my life. Close your eyes right where you are. Those watching online, I would close your eyes right where you are. It's simply to make God, the all, God of all creation, your best friend. What an incredible deal that God has given us. Not just to be God and Savior, but your best friend. You just have to say, here I am, here I am. And this is, you just say, God, forgive me. Just right where you are. Say, God, forgive me. Come into my heart. I surrender my life to you. I want to do life your way. I want you as my God, my Savior. I want you as my best friend. One who sticks closer than a brother. And if that's you, if that's you, whether you're in a chair at a desk, whether you're in your home or in the living room, just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. I want Jesus. If you're here today and you say, that's me. I want to accept Jesus Christ in my Lord. I want Jesus as my best friend. Raise your hand right where you are. You want Jesus for your best friend? You want Jesus for your best friend? Do you? Raise your hand. I want Jesus as my best friend. Yes, yes, yes. You want Jesus as best friend? Yes. Jesus wants to be our best friend. Father, I pray right now. Lord, that we would truly learn the lesson from David and Jonathan. And yet, Lord, the greater lesson that you, O oh Lord, came down to earth to forgive us of our sins, to make us part of the eternal family, to walk with us in every situation and every circumstance, that we can call you Abba Father and you call us Son. And that we can have our sins forgiven as we yield our hearts and start living according to your word, your ways, to do your will in the life you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give, give God some praise in the house of the Lord. Come on, give him some praise in the house of the Lord. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG.
You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.